The Lymphoma Voices podcast brings you a series of conversations around topics of interest for people affected by lymphoma, the fifth most common cancer in the UK. Hi, I'm Mike and I'm a volunteer with Lymphoma Action. It's a privilege to be here today to speak to someone who who plays a sport that I'm a really big fan of. I'm a big rugby fan and I'm delighted to be joined today by Robbie Ferguson. Hi, Robbie. Hi, Mike. How are you? Nice to be here. Very well. Thank you very much. A lot of people won't know really who you are unless we're in the rugby um, background and they'll know who you are. Just tell us where you've returned from in the past week or so. I have just last week returned from Tokyo from the 2020 Olympics. Um, so yeah, that was a, a big experience for me, and yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a big journey over the last couple of months. Uh, rugby sevens, you were playing. Yeah, rugby sevens. So I do do a little bit of fifteens and a little bit of sevens, but um, yeah, predominantly been sevens the last few years. And um, yeah, I was lucky enough to make the Great Britain team to go out there and represent us. So it was a massive honour. Fantastic. And uh, just to be to clarify, this is rugby union we're speaking about. And uh, unfortunately, you didn't get as far as you would have liked. Um, no, we fell, well, agonisingly, I think maybe fourth, well, I think fourth is the worst position to finish at the Olympics. If you're, if you're dead last, at least you're dead last and you can live with it. But um, yeah, it was a strange emotion finishing um, fourth. You've done well to get to semi-final and you realise only one team's not going to get a medal and you just don't want to be that one team. But these things happen and at the time you felt like a bit of a failure and, and whatnot, but you speak with family and then they uh, they put things in perspective about where you are and, and what you're doing and how much of an achievement it is. So it still hurts a little bit right now, but um, yeah, I'm sure in time to come, I'll realise fourth still a pretty, pretty good achievement. As I said, I'm, I'm quite a rugby fan and um, the last time I was able to see Scotland play was, I believe it, in 1999, which I think you were around about six. Yeah, yeah, six, bang. Oh, he's getting to a game, mate. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I did some checking. Uh, actually, was at Murrayfield to see um, Scotland play the, uh, the Five Nations last time they played the Five Nations and obviously they went on to win. Scotland 32, Wales 20, which was uh, pretty cool, actually. When we, we say that uh, about your your, your age, uh, you're about 28 just now. Yeah, just about to turn 28, actually, birthday month, yeah. Which is quite remarkable because you're actually quite young. And when I say that, you're quite young to have been diagnosed in 2014, was it, with Hodgkin's lymphoma? Yeah, um, so yeah, I think, uh, well, I was 20 at the time okay. when that happened and was a massive shock to the system. I don't, well, as a 20 year old, I was completely unaware as to what lymphoma was. You probably just, at that age, I'd heard about different types of cancer, things like that, but I'd never heard of lymphoma. And the diagnosis was a long time coming, I think. I got misdiagnosed with a lot of stuff. And when I eventually got told you've got Hodgkin's lymphoma or a lymphoma of some sort, they said at that time it hadn't been fully diagnosed. I literally looked across the table to the GP and was like, what's that? Um, and th as soon as they say it's a form of cancer, your head goes into a little bit of a spin. And unfortunately, at the time, my dad was away with work and my mum was away on holiday. So I was just by myself. And I remember going home to tell my sister and I was like, I don't really know what to say. And then I had to try and speak to my, my parents and phone them and try and discuss what it was. But yeah, lymphoma was a bit of an unknown to me. Um, and at 20 years of age, it took me by surprise a little bit. 
let's go back to your rugby career um, before we jump into the whole process of going through your treatment. Um, at 20, being diagnosed with a blood cancer, a very, very physical uh, sport. So how did you unpack that, uh, the whole diagnosis and what it would do to your actual uh, career in uh, rugby union? It was a strenuous I was at the time. I had just finished playing with Scotland under 20s and was playing for my home club, Air, at the time. We were in the Premiership in Scotland and it was a strange one. Like I say, it was a long time coming. There was a lot of people sort of, I was very well known throughout the rugby club. I'd played there since I was five years old. I was 20. I knew everyone. And um, I was getting more and more people coming up to me and being like, are you okay? Are you okay? You look very pale. You've lost weight. Um, are you feeling okay? And it kind of culminated in, we were on a bus down to Gala to play a game. I was meant to be starting. And I'd gone to the bus and felt horrendous, just felt awful. And one of the one of the coaches turned to me. He's like, "Are you all right? Like, you, you look white as a sheet." And I was like, "I just don't feel well. I really don't feel well." And this is kind of built up for a while. And I tried to do the warm up for the game and ended up being sick on the side of the pitch and just really, really struggling. So I can't play this, that, and the next thing. And that was kind of the straw that broke the broke the camel's back. And a week later, I got my got my diagnosis. So it was a case of a lot of people were asking me, "What's wrong? What's is everything okay?" And then. It's quite an overwhelming thing and then something I struggled with a bit at the time to say what it was that I had because I had a limited understanding of what Hodgkin's lymphoma was other than a type of blood cancer, which is a scary thing to say to people. Um, and you don't want to panic anyone. You don't want to... I, did, I just didn't want the attention of the whole thing. So I spoke to a few close friends and then the doctor at the rugby club said, would you like me to tell the boys and I'll explain a little bit more about it to them. Um, and I was like, yeah, so... I wasn't, I wasn't there when that happened and the doctor sort of told my teammates and whatnot and then after that obviously your phone blows up with a lot of support but um, yeah from a rugby point of view I was in a good place with my team and, and they really supported me out throughout the whole thing coming to treatments with me I guess it, it's tough to take at the time you're like will I play rugby again will I not play rugby again what will happen but you have to put I had a decent child with my mates and your health's more important than anything else that you need your health to to do sport to do whatever you want to do so it was a case of breaking breaking things down and being like right let's get me sorted first and then whatever happens after that happens it's remarkable in that um let's see we're a good number of years on from that point we're about seven years on and it gives a lot of hope to people listening in that you can go through a blood cancer journey that is through treatment through diagnosis through treatment through post uh, cancer treatment and come out the other end and carry on with what you were doing before going to a very high standard yeah it's quite remarkable it, it is and this is going to seem like a very strange thing to say but coming out the back of it I almost felt better than I ever had like I don't know if it was a build-up for a long time before diagnosis or whatever it was but I've, my, I just felt so much better as an athlete, as a sportsman, as whatever, post post my treatment, obviously not straight after, but six months down the line, I felt like I was in a much better place to kick on and do better and learn, I think, a lot about myself during the treatment process. And it taught me quite a few good things as well. Like I got quite into um, sort of focusing my mind and, uh, on goal setting and um, became quite process driven on how I like took things on. And I think what I learned through my treatment 
I was able to apply to rugby afterwards and where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. One thing I think really helped my rugby, but through my through my treatment and potentially diagnosis and how I dealt with the situation, stood me in good stead for, for coming out the back of it, I think. It, it actually is. I've been through my uh, cancer treatment for over 22 years now, um, the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And um, I always look at the lead up to the diagnosis, then the treatment, it was many, many years treatment for myself. And then the final third of the, the race or the, the game is actual post-treatment recovery. And that brings so many challenges because at the end of it, you're actually quite low and it's very difficult to climb back out of that. So what, what tools did you use to, to climb back out of the post-treatment um, down in some respects? Well, I think one of the biggest things I did was just set myself sort of like little mini goals of stuff that I maybe wanted to achieve. So it wasn't a case of I want to be back playing rugby or I want to do this or that. It was just like little things like normality, like I want to be able to go like a jog by myself and, and get myself to a level. I want to be able to get back to lifting this weight in the gym. Um, and it was just like little sort of goals I'd give myself and see how I improved through the time. So I sort of stuck to little two-week two week things, month-long goals maybe, like two to four weeks being like, right, okay, I'd like to be here. And if I can be there, then that's great. That's progress. And that was just always having like small things because if you did achieve them in two, three weeks, you're like, great, I'm, I'm kicking on. I'm doing really well. And if you don't achieve them, it's not the end of the world. You're just, I feel like if you go too big and you don't get to where you need to be, you end up going further down. So I think small sort of attainable goals to try and start just bringing yourself back up and boost your confidence in what you're doing as well, I think. There, there are over 60 different types of lymphoma and um, subtypes of lymphoma. And you've got Hodgkin, you had Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and along with so many different types of lymphoma, there are umpteen different types of treatment. So what specific treatment did you have, uh, Robbie? ABVD? Yeah. I'm trying to remember it now. Um, yeah, that was, so I had that. So basically it was, well, fairly straightforward for myself, was six rounds, two, two in each round. So uh, 12 lots of chemotherapy was my plan that the doctor had set me. And again, within that, there was obviously tests and rescans throughout the process to see if this was working, if this wasn't working. Um, and luckily enough, I reacted well to, to the treatment they were um, giving me. And yeah, came came out of the back of 12, 12 chemotherapy sessions, one every two weeks, and I managed to knock it off. So, um, yeah, I was pretty lucky in the way I reacted to the treatment and how straightforward that part of the journey sort of went for me because they're, they're always chatting, if this doesn't work, we can do this. If this doesn't work, we can do this. But as much as you can, you want to stay on the, on the simplest track if you can do. Often a lot of people going into treatment um, will be given lots of information about the side effects of treatment. Being a young 20-year-old guy, um, I was uh, sort of 58 when I had to get my serious treatment. Your health and your fitness must have been a massive advantage uh, going through treatment. I think, it, I think it definitely was. And I've spoke to a few people sort of about this. And one of the things I tried to, it's, it's difficult to say that I, I'm very uh, driven and maybe a bit stubborn, my fiance might say. What I tried to do was continue doing some form of training through treatment to the extent of after my first round of chemotherapy, I went to the gym and trained so hard I passed out in the gym. So that was 
a disaster like that. And it sort of taught me like it was a case of I was just trying to beat what was going on in my body and rather than helping my body recover from what it went through, I was determined to almost like flatten my body further because I wouldn't lie down to what was going on to me. And I actually got a lot of help from one of my mates, opened the gym and I ended up starting training with him. And he was just sort of like, not holding me back, but like doing things that would help help my body almost recover um, from the treatment. So I tried to do little things that just kept my mind going, but also my body going a little bit. But obviously as things progressed, that became harder and harder to do as the cumulative effect of the treatment sort of carries on. But I think having the baseline fitness coming into it and being able to do what you can do to stay a little bit active throughout your treatment is something I would definitely um, recommend to anyone anyone doing something, even just like getting yourself out a walk, doing whatever you whatever you can do, I think um, if possible is, is, is good for you. My chemotherapy was, uh, had me in hospital for five days, 24 seven on chemotherapy. So it was 120 hours at a time. So I used to, uh, I used to take my chemo trolleys for a walk around yeah. the corridors um, after every meal actually. And I was doing about two mile a day walking yeah. in the corridors. <laughs> and Honestly, it made such a difference because the fatigue, I think it over, uh, overwrote some of the fatigue because I wasn't lying in my bed all the time, which uh, has got a big effect on your recovery. So um, you went through treatment. You didn't really have any side effects, sickness? Yeah, oh, bad sickness, yeah. Sickness, yeah, that was, that was probably not the worst side effect I had. And did you feel that you were able to get tailored drugs to suit your uh, your sickness at that point in time they sort of set me off with just the usual anti-sickness tablets after my first round did not work i was sick as a dog for a good two or three days to the point where we ended up going into into the hospital and being like is there anything else we can sort of do here um so i got some stronger anti-sickness sort of pills there to help out with that sort of stuff that that sort of cleared up the after but it was more the during, and I don't know if this was became a thing in my head or became a thing with going to hospitals, but um, I just couldn't stop being sick throughout my treatment. So just constantly, so I would, you, your 127 hours, your patience and whatnot must be unbelievable because I was only there for, I think, about eight, nine hours at a time, and I was sick countless times within that, that period from then till about 12 hours after would just be constant. And I guess the anti-sickness stuff they gave me at that time when I was in, they thought would help. But I don't know if it was just in my head or this is now what I associated with what was happening and it was going to happen anyway. But I just couldn't stop myself from from being sick. That was just part of the process for me almost. It became it became just part of it. So uh, you were uh, still at home uh, in the, the area when you were getting treated? Yeah, we got offered, um, there's obviously sort of a, a younger hostel up in Glasgow where they can go to, but the way I felt, I didn't want to like stay in the hospital. Um, I wanted to try and get out and by staying in air gave me the, the ability to, I lived 15 minutes from the hospital. I could arrive straight into my treatment, didn't have to hang around, could leave straight after. And all I wanted to do post my treatment was go to bed. Just, I was tired and being in my own bed was a comfort and uh, that's where I wanted to be. So I was lucky enough, the Station 15 at Air Hospital um, were able to accommodate me and uh, yeah, I stayed, I stayed close to home. So let's go back to your career. You, you had a, a budding career leading up to your diagnosis. You got struck s straight in the face by a, a cancer diagnosis. 
you've came through your treatment. How did you rebuild your career from, uh, was it the end of 2014, was it? Yeah, so it would be 2014. Yeah, start of the 2015 season, probably. So the boys had obviously started the season off and were playing sort of in the league competition. It was a case of when do I go back? Like you finish your treatment and you're obviously not where you would like to be. So gave a little bit of time and then just started training myself to a point where I felt like I was able to go and join in again at training at least and see where I stood and got myself back into sort of the training environment. Loved just being around the boys again and doing what I did. Like everything felt normal and it felt easier than it was obviously pre-diagnosis um, when I was trying to train with it. Um, so it felt better and it, it was just nice to be around everyone again. So I was enjoying that. And then I spoke to one of the coaches and he was like, do you feel comfortable? When do you think you'll be able to play? And I was like, it's kind of now or never. Like, I'm, I'm happy. Like, I feel as good as I will now. I'll get back out and play. I was meant to play for the for the second 15 away at Boromir. And uh, the game got cancelled the night before. So that was a bit of anti-climax for me. And then the following week, we were playing Curry at home. Uh, and there was an injury that happened to one of the boys. And the coach came to me. He's like, I'm going to put you on the bench for the for the first 15, which is where I played the majority of my rugby. And, and whatnot and I was like wow that's immense thank you like good so that was me back so in the first 15 and probably where my family got maybe the most solace just seeing me back on the rugby field I think that was their that was their thing when when this journey was going on they just wanted to see me back where they felt I belonged on the pitch and they were like everyone will be all right once you're back there so I came off the bench after about 40 minutes and all my friends family and stand were there went kind of wild and that was sort of me back into rugby and then from then on played played quite well that season and out the back of that uh, Glasgow Warriors Academy sort of spoke to me and they were like, listen, you're a little bit older than we would normally take on to the academy programme, but you've obviously missed missed a bit of rugby with your illness and whatnot. So we were happy to take a bit of a, a leap of faith with you. Um, so I joined up with the Glasgow Warriors Academy for the season 2015-2016, played through pre-season there, just got a shoe in and started playing a few games and from there just everything sort of history ended up down in London Scottish playing a little bit and then back up and joined the, the Scotland Sevens programme so it was just a case of um, getting back on the field and doing what I sort of enjoyed and potentially through everything took the pressure off myself by not worrying too much about rugby or the outcome or where I landed when you realise what's important your health your family your friends and Rugby is just a byproduct of all that, and it's something I've realised probably more and more. The higher up you go and the higher you play, the pressures can sort of become more and more. And it, you can forget rugby is just a game at the end of the day. Like there's bigger things, there's more important things going on, and that's sort of what I learned, especially over the last few weeks at the Olympic Games. Like things go your way, things don't go your way, but as long as you've got your health, family, friends, you're in a, you're in a good enough spot. Um, so yeah, it's been a lot of a lot of learning around it, but um, yeah. It's just a game and you've got to get your health back first. After my main, I had stem cell transplant, so my immune system was quite bad. How has your immune system been um, in the years following? And did you have infection problems or um, were you okay? No, for the, for the most part, I was okay. Um, okay. I was semi sort of sensible with what I was doing, like you're aware of it and you obviously get your bloods done to make sure everything's... Uh, it's still okay and, and, and whatnot, but for the most part, I was I was okay. But like I say, I was semi-sensible with, with what I was doing. Like a few of my friends were like, do you want to do the tough mudder? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And I was like, 
jumping around some barbed wire fences and mud and whatnot is probably probably not the best thing for me right now. So I avoided a few things and tried to be sensible with it because obviously you're aware of complications or whatever can happen, that sort of stuff. So um, no, luckily enough, I was for the most part okay. Let's zoom forward to the turn of 19, 2019 into 2020 and this um, weird COVID thing came on the go. How did that affect your playing career initially? It was an interesting one for us as part of the Scotland Sevens at this stage. And we had just come back from a two-legged tournament. So we had been over in Los Angeles and Vancouver and Canada playing tournaments. And this was early March. We flew back home and we actually arrived from LA to, to Vancouver. And there was a flight from Hong Kong at the airport at the time and they were all in masks and their bags were all wrapped and getting disinfected and we had obviously heard about corona at this point and it was sort of in Hong Kong and we were like should they really be in this airport like what's kind of going on but at that stage nobody batted an eyelid at anything like that so throughout that week of the tournament there was a lot of boys sort of went down with illness sickness which is now obviously probably been attributed to the COVID stuff we flew home and out the back of that tournament well the Great Britain squad was being announced for sevens so we were all sort of in our edge seats for that. So I got a phone call the day before we went into lockdown and got selected for the initial Great Britain squad that I was meant to go down and train for in England. So then the lockdown happened. Everything got put on hold for four weeks, for six weeks, for eight weeks. The first Olympics got cancelled. And yeah, we all lost probably a year, year and a half. Some boys still aren't back playing yet just with what's happened with the nature of our sports sevens and travelling aren't back playing yet so you lose a year of your career potentially to a virus which is again annoying and frustrating and is what it is but the health of the world is obviously more important than than everything we're doing Um, but yeah the Covid situation did not help us especially as sevens players who travel the world we are literally the breeding ground for Covid so hence why we're still not we're still not really back yet to be honest. In March last year, um, I was uh, I was put in the shielding group, which was uh, really quite interesting to be told that you're not allowed to basically do much. But what did you what did your cl- clinical team tell you to do or not to do? My GP was still registered to my mum's address, so my mum phoned me and said, "Robbie, you're on the shielding list. You need to stay at home. You need to do this. You need to do that." And I was like, "Right, well, we're not really doing anything anyway." At the time, my fiance was 36 weeks pregnant as well. So we were imminently due a baby. So we, with the risks that we were the unknown at the time with pregnant lady and whatnot, we had literally just isolated our house for two to three weeks prior to the fact that I then got this letter saying, isolate your own home anyway. So we were just very much in our, in our little bubble, but problems sort of came when we had to go to the hospitals, things like that had to happen. Like, what was I meant to do? What was I not allowed to do? And obviously it was kind of scary, scary for her because she was like, are you coming to the hospital? Or are you not coming to the hospital? And I was like, well, I'm obviously going to come to the hospital for this because for the most part, I felt fine and everything was okay. So I was on the, on the shielding list and we were sort of doing that anyway. And then once the sort of baby arrived and whatnot, yeah, I tried to be cautious with what we did, but it was a case of I would sort of rather go out than let them go out if we needed to. But for the most part, we sort of bubbled and had quite a nice four weeks with just that I wouldn't have ever had with myself, Gabby and Ellie in our own little bubble. It was tough not seeing family and doing all that sort of stuff through Zoom calls to see Ellie. But for the sake of all of us, we just sort of stayed stayed put and 
it was a big learning experience for me. Four weeks with a with a baby and a lady that's just giving birth to a child for four weeks. So it was it was an intense lockdown anyway. But um, yeah, for the most part, I shielded, but probably more so because of the the, the situation I found myself in than how I felt health reason wise. The turn of the year, you you were probably getting ready to prepare for the Olympics. How was it when you arrived in Japan in a co well a COVID environment in some respects because you did say it yourself. Um, so we we were always in the unknown of there was because all the sevens programs shut down England sevens Wales sevens Scotland sevens all shut down. We were all like, is there going to be a GB team? What's happened here? And basically, they went, nobody's funding this. We're not paying like none of the unions obviously with budgets and what was going on. Didn't have any money to fund the program. Um, so we were very unsure what was going to happen and then luckily the National Lottery stepped in and funded the programme. So in early February we started as you do, as you did at the time on Zoom. So there was 30 odd of us on a Zoom call, well not isolating but in your own home and being given sort of training to do by yourself. Obviously we're still in the lockdown. We couldn't travel to England. England boys weren't allowed to get together. Nothing was allowed to happen. So everything we did for the first two or three weeks was on Zoom until we got the, the go-ahead to sort of start a, a training camp, which was based in Loughborough University. So we got given travel exemptions and we would travel down to Loughborough. Um, you sat in your car, did your COVID test. If you got the green light, you were allowed to go in and you had to go straight to your room. You weren't allowed to leave your room until everyone was sort of there and then all meals were delivered to your room. So basically you went down there, you lived in this hotel room and everything was delivered to your room, still doing your meeting. We're all in this corridor, but still with the protocol of everything, you weren't allowed to meet together. So we're still in our hotel rooms on Zoom and having our food that was delivered to our door. And then we were only allowed out of our room for an hour and a half for rugby in the morning, an hour and a half for rugby in the afternoon and a 40 minute gym slot, wherever that fit into your day. So it was very much sort of isolation. Probably we were probably, the, the world was beginning to open up more. We're probably March time now and the world's opening up and we're, we're probably still locked up more than anyone else. Um, and that sort of continued, to be honest, all the way through to, to Tokyo. A couple of weeks before Tokyo, we were allowed to have roommates back and we had a, a dining hall opened up where we could go and have food for 45 minutes max. But again, you're still a mask, you're still doing all that sort of stuff. It got to about four weeks prior to the, the squad announcement, um, which was on the 13th of July. So it must have been early June time. And again, the world's opening up and we're thinking, this is good for us. We'll get back to some normality. We'll get back to this. But the reality of what happened was we ended up going backwards to be tighter in our restrictions because the risk for us as the world opened up was cases were increasing more and more people were getting the virus again and if we then got it two to three weeks prior to Tokyo you're ruling yourself out of the Olympics so it wasn't easy for uh, our friends families everything we just basically continued our own little lockdowns to make sure we preserved our Great Britain bubble as much as we could um, and the lead up to things and uh, we managed to do that successfully enough that we didn't have any cases um, and then flew out to Tokyo mid-July and yeah, we arrived there and again, so much around the people of Tokyo didn't want to have us, they did want to have us, they wanted the Olympics to go ahead, they didn't want the Olympics to go ahead, so we weren't sure what sort of reception we are going to get, but for the most part it was pretty warm, you flew 12 hours to Tokyo, then you spent six hours in the airport trying to go through COVID protocols after flying, testing, all that sort of 
stuff to then get transported to a hotel where, again, you're not allowed outside the hotel unless for training purposes. And the hotel's guarded by the Japanese police, so you can't get out. And then we spent five days there and then got transported into the village. The village operated almost as a bubble. You had masks on as well, but it was probably the most normal situation I found myself in being not even normal, but probably overwhelming having thousands of people around you all of a sudden you can go outside and walk about and inside the village walls um, and then suddenly you can eat with a thousand people whereas you've been sat in your hotel room eating by yourself for the last ever many months so um, yeah it was all it was all about interesting and covid certainly added some challenges to it it's it's quite remarkable isn't it um, and it's quite a mind shift for you to go from that isolation to that unbelievable amount of people uh it's, it's quite remarkable a couple more questions what's next for you at the minute i'm readjusting to being a dad again so i've just <laughs> dropped the little one at nursery and i'm tidying the kitchen and whatnot and my uh, fiance is at work so um now nah, it's been quite an intense year or so so i've got three four weeks off now so we're going to go away on holiday i think in a couple of weeks try and get away and then I am back into 15s and 7s. I'm going to time with Glasgow Warriors again and push on with some 15s. And then there's some opportunity, hopefully, with some 7s tournaments coming back that we might get a few 7s tournaments. But primarily, I'll be back at Glasgow Warriors for uh, the coming season, um, get my head back into some 15s again. Robbie, so what was being part of Team GB? What does it mean to you? It's an interesting one because you've been part of teams before and Team GB have this sort of one team philosophy and it's it's great the way they, they, they sort of put that forward and you're all integrated in what you can. But to me, it's sort of that overriding feeling. Like I remember being small in Athens 2004, it seems to be the first Olympics, it sort of rings a bell in my head and watching these people, watching Team GB compete and then you flick on to, to more recent times, guys like Andy Murray and Jess Ennis, these people that have done Kelly Holmes, all these people that have done so well um, representing Team GB and to be part of something as successful and hopefully we always spoke about bringing pride to the nation back home as well and representing what it is. So to bring pride to the United Kingdom as as a whole and as a group, like as other people are winning medals, it's, it's exciting to see that as a success as a team and you're still sitting at home right now following the team, how they're getting on. So it's that sort of investment and pride in, in, in what you're doing. So it's a massive sense of achievement if you succeed as part of Team GB, but as Team GB as a wider, when you see it succeeding and hopefully having, I think it's talking now, the second most successful games overseas since Rio, um, to be part of something like that is massive as well. So it's, it's a real one community type thing. So it's a lot of pride in representing that and the people back home when you see the support you're getting. What advice would you give to those starting out their lymphoma journey at this point in time? I think it's, it's, accept, it's almost like an accepting that this is going to be a part of it. You're going to feel down. You're going to feel a little bit dark at times. And I think what's good is to realise that that's perfectly normal. And most people in, that, in your situation will, will feel that way. But I was having to flip through all the sort of lymphoma action stuff and one thing probably I didn't do enough and I wish I'd maybe done more of was find out more about it. And when I went onto your page there and I'm looking at support groups and contact groups and things like that, it's reassuring for me now to realise that there is stuff like that there. And it's not, there's no stigma attached to talking about it. Like the more you speak about it, I think the more people have, like my, from my own experience, 
people you hear people who have overcome your situation or who have had positive experiences out the back of whatever's happened and it just shows there's light at the end of end of certain tunnels and obviously it's not the case for everyone but the more positive stories you can get hopefully puts you in a more positive mindset going into it and like I said for myself it was about setting little sort of achievable goals like whether that was getting to your third round of chemotherapy and seeing how you felt and being like right okay I'm, I'm however far through this journey or getting to your sixth round and getting retested to see what's happening just break things down talk to people and uh, yeah, like I say, there's, there's there's people out there that have been in the same situation as you. So don't be afraid to talk to people or reach out. That's one thing that journalists now ask me all the time is, do you get fed up getting asked about your lymphoma stuff? Would you rather we just asked you about your rugby stuff? And it's one of those things I always say is, whenever these articles come out, I'll always get a Facebook message. I'll get someone on Instagram message me being like, oh, how did you manage to do this? Did you do that? Did you do this? And I say to them, it's like, if, I, if one person messages me off the back of that and asks just for one little piece of advice and I can give them one little bit of help, you you feel better in yourself and you've, you've helped someone. So you're talking about it, it's a, it's a good way forward. So that and just being being able to reach out to people, I think is a great thing. So that's why I think the support group and stuff on the Lymphoma Action page is great. One final question. What brings you joy, Robbie? The biggest thing that brings me joy is currently my uh, daughter and my fiance. It's the the little things at the minute. You go away and they sacrifice a little bit for uh, for me to go and do what I love to do, which obviously brings me a lot of joy as well. But to come home and spend time now that I'm getting with them and wake up in the morning, their little faces smiling at you and coming giving you hugs. So for me, probably the biggest thing that brought me joy was I came back and I think I got back at three in the morning. So I didn't see Ellie, my daughter, till, till the morning and she's not seen me in three weeks. And I was sitting downstairs and she came running into the room and just came and gave me a massive, a massive hug and was just so, so excited to see me. And it just kind of, it just fills you with a bit of warmth that. So um, yeah, friends and family definitely are what brings me joy, but those two in particular. Brilliant, Robbie. Thank you very much. No problem. No problem. For more information about lymphoma and the support we can offer to people affected by the condition, please visit the Lymphoma Action website at www.lymphoma-action.org.uk Lymphoma Action. Inform. Support. Connect.